Hey everyone, Alan Smithson here. Today we're speaking with Varig Garabjinian, the Chief Revenue Officer at Clay Air, a software company shaping the future of how we interact with the digital world using natural gesture recognition. We're going to find out how Clay will bring our real hands into the virtual world coming up next on the XR for Business podcast. Uh, Varig, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Alan. Glad to be here. It's my absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I know you guys are working on some cutting edge stuff, so why don't I not ruin it and just let you tell us what is Clay Air? So Clay is a software company. Uh, we're specializing in hand tracking and gesture recognition, uh, mostly in the AR and VR space. And we're also tackling a couple other in- industries, automotive, and our third product category we call Clay Control, which is kind of all the devices that can use gesture interaction at a distance. Are you doing this from like single cameras or is this from infrared cameras or a combination of everything? Yeah, so Clay's the, like we're, we're hardware agnostic, so we'll work across all those types you just said. It could be one camera, two cameras or more and all different types. So we'll work on like RGB cameras uh, that you'll find on everyday smartphones to what you might find embedded in AR and VR devices to monochrome ones, time of flight ones. And so we're pure software. And we've worked across a lot of those different types um, and have compatibility with most of them now, which is which gives us a lot of flexibility and is really useful. So I'm going to be able to look at watches on my wrist in AR, right? Like I'm going to be able to hold my hand up and see what the newest, uh, latest, greatest watches. It's actually pretty cool you say that because that that is one of the uh, the use cases that comes in um, often uh, inbound to us. There's companies, it hasn't happened yet, but like uh, there's companies definitely brainstorming around how you track the hands, even with just a smartphone, like overlaying something. And yeah, we actually did it. We did a project just using um, Google's hand tracking library. We managed to make the watch sit on the wrist, but it was kind of glitchy. It would sit weird, and yeah, it was it was not it was not great. But it, we made it work. But it just wasn't sellable. Yeah. So this is really a, a foundational software, and I know you guys uh, are working with uh, some of the the larger manufacturers. Do you want to talk about that or can you talk about that and, and what that might look like? Yeah, I can speak a little bit about that. So we feel like, like you said, like this is software that really needs to be optimized for the hardware that it's working on. The deeper it is in the stack, the better performance you'll get and, and the better synergies you'll get with all the other technologies that are working on these devices, right? So that's why when I joined the company, we really uh, made the focus to get as deep into the stack as possible. We looked at the market that time a couple of years ago to look at who is really central to defining the reference stack of what's going to more most AR and VR devices. And to me, Qualcomm made the most sense. So we spent a lot of time working with them. As, as you know, and some of your listeners might know, they really do define a lot of what goes into the guts of most AR and VR devices today, and likely in the future too. So we work closely with them. What that means is that like from a software architecture standpoint and a hardware standpoint, we try to make our software as optimized as possible for their reference designs. And as a result of that, any OEMs that want to pick up a Qualcomm chip and all the technologies around it were really well suited to fit along the side of all those other technologies. With Qualcomm's 835 and 845, whatever, their new chips are kind of really powering the the future devices i know pretty much all of the standalone vr headsets right now and and most of the ar glasses are running on the qualcomm chips so this kind of opens up the world of spatial computing and hand tracking needs to be there it's kind of part and parcel and now when qualcomm's announced their new xr2 chip i think this is going to like really really unlock it and it's basically 10 times performance right across the board 
And so you guys are well positioned for that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's pretty cool to see how like every chip that comes out, the best part of that partnership in a sense, not just the amazing people we get to work with, but also like the chips that we get, like, you know, some of those first reference designs to our office um, and to our labs. And it's, pre- it's pretty cool. Like, we get to experiment with like the latest and greatest machine learning models and try to get the most out of those chips, which in every single chip that comes by, which makes sense, like we get just a little bit more accuracy, a little more points of interest at a lower consumption rate on those pieces of hardware. So it's, it's pretty cool to see that evolve. It's pretty quick, even though it's day to day, it it moves more quickly than people think. I think this whole technology stack of XR is moving. It's actually moving way, way faster than I had ever anticipated. I was looking at 2025 for ubiquitous uh, AR glasses, but after uh, seeing what came out of CES this year and learning about this Qualcomm XR2 chip, you've now got AR glasses coming out on mass. CES, I think there was 11 AR glasses that came out this year. And all yeah. of them in the, the form factor of a pair of sunglasses. What did you think of that, by the way? Because for, for me, when I saw that, and I saw Enreal's glasses, which to me like are the closest thing you've got to consumer AR, I saw a lot of companies that were coming out kind of mirroring what they were doing, slightly different form factors, seemed like fast followers in a way. And I, to me, that seemed like a good signal. I think it's a great signal. I think what will happen is, like with the VR market, there was thousands of, uh, of Chinese knockoffs of VR headsets and all of them have gone out of right. business now. But I think you're okay. going to see this kind of flooding of the market of these cheap AR glasses and it will come down to things like embedding technologies like clay into it and having proper Qualcomm chips in there and, and proper uh, chipsets. And it really comes down to having the full tech stack to deliver on the quality that people really want. So I think you're going to see lots of incumbents. You're going to see a lot of people come in and try to take over the market. But this is, these are not easy problems to solve, as you know. And then, and then Especially because every maker has got a different hardware makeup in a sense, right? And so uh, it's really about bringing these technologies together in that specific device. I think what Qualcomm is doing and companies like us working together is making it more. I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to, and this is why I joined the company in a sense, I want that like uh, that that iPhone moment within this industry where the right technologies come together and a, a quote unquote kind of dominant design is developed. With Facebook now working on AR and you've got Magic Leap and uh, Microsoft's HoloLens, yeah. So they've kind of set the bar pretty high. The, the HoloLens was an amazing piece of tech, and now HoloLens too. And you know, Magic Leap, people are going to expect when they walk around holograms, they stay put, they they stay rock solid, steady. Uh, attached to the real world, which is really gives you that kind of mixed reality experience. But it's it's not easy to do that. And I think a lot of these companies are like, here, here's a heads up display. You can see things in midair, but they're not thinking about the tracking. They're not thinking about object recognition. They're not thinking of the full tech stack that's required for real pervasive augmented reality in the world. Absolutely. And then you've got then you've got glasses like the North glasses, which just give you a little heads up display, like your Apple Watch display. And I think those are going to have a, a great place too. But let's get back to hand tracking because this is a vital part. And I know uh, Oculus Quest just introduced uh, hand tracking. And I think the Quest, I, I just read an article today, the Quest has sold uh, over w- half of all the VR headsets in the world last year. Wow. Yeah, it is. It's a game changer. And they introduce hand tracking. And as soon as we start to see apps that has that built in, that will be the new standard. That'll be the new normal. Just like standalone, no wires, non-tethered VR 
is now the new normal. No, who we're not going backwards. We're not going. Hey, let me connect this to a big computer and cables and stuff. Like nobody wants that anymore. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, you know what? By the way, Alan, I think I think it's already becoming. Uh, you're right. It's not the standard yet amongst users and consumers, but amongst the OEMs, and that's who I speak with a lot. It is becoming like, hey, we, they want the same thing ASAP. Right. So. So what's the uh, what's the next step for for hand tracking? Then you've got you're able to track hands very precisely. Are, are things like uh, mid air haptics? I know. Um, I guess Leap Motion would be a competitor to you guys, uh, even though they're using a hardware solution to do that. But things like mid air haptics um, with the Ultra Haptics or the Ultra Leap now, these things are really foundational and interesting. Yeah, I think I think there's still some things to be solved, even on basic uh, markerless, hardwareless sort of computer vision based hand tracking. Uh, so even things like occlusion or field of view and compute, those all need to be even better, so to say. So what I mean by that is like if you take your hands and you go out of the field of view and you quickly bring them back into the field of view, what's that activation time look like? Right. Uh, like how quickly do you go from not recognizing that hand to recognizing it? And, and in particular, now a lot of people are using machine learning models, optimizing those models, uh, making sure that there are fewer po- false positives. There's still some things to be solved, right? If you have other hands in the field of view, or and 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 from a from a compute standpoint, just making sure it all works and it's not burning the battery. There's there's still some things to be done there, and that's that's an ongoing challenge, especially if you don't, especially if you're not like a huge multi-billion-dollar company like like Facebook, and you don't have all the resources they have to stitch that all together in the best way, right? So. Companies like ours are getting better and better at doing that and offering that. So that there's still some things to be done there in terms of like once that's solved or in tandem. There's you're right. There's some cool things you might be able to do with haptics because one thing you notice is that as our technology gets better and better and you really feel like your hands are there, it becomes more confusing that when you actually go touch something in the virtual world, especially if we're talking about VR, you don't have any of that that sensation back. It's really confusing to your brain. Uh, so having something like that, even if it's a small form of feedback, could be really, really helpful. Although I'm, at least for consumer VR, I'm, I'm against adding any extra hardware. I think it's hard enough for consumers to adopt, for the regular consumer, the, like even the early majority of consumers, to adopt VR. We don't want to be making them wear anything more on their hands or controllers, even to me, sometimes can be uh, excessive or too much of a requirement. So. It's interesting you say that because I actually got to try something at CES last year, and it was these little sensors that went over my fingers, almost like a pulse ox meter. Okay. And they just give slight haptic feedback on the tips of your fingers. And it turned out that that was actually quite convincing. You didn't need the whole haptic glove or anything. It was just a very small sensor that clipped on your finger. And I'm assuming, you know, I was wired, but I'm assuming it could maybe be Bluetooth or whatever. But it was enough sensation that I actually felt it was real. I reached out and touched a fire and it buzzed and I I jumped back. I felt like an idiot. Freaked me out. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And I even, I met this company not too long ago. I'm unfortunately blanking on the name right now, but uh, it was at, uh, it was at VRX last time I was there and they were, they were working on something really interesting about haptics. Uh, They were, they were changing what that haptic feedback felt like, both like in frequency and intensity based on what you were touching within VR, which I thought was really cool. Right. So (laughs) You know, I'm looking at a desk right now, touching a desk in real life feels very different from touching this cup right here, right? So how do you bring those differences in VR2 along with hand tracking? That's super, super exciting. And I think it makes sense definitely now, as you know, like to do this all in the enterprise space, but rolling that into consumer where 
prices need to be lower and things need to be even easier to use. Uh, that yet, yet to be seen. Maybe there needs to be something like of what's embedded in the headset, right? Where there's ultrasound uh, around or something like that. Uh, that's pretty far out there, though, I think. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's going to be so many use cases for this. And I'm just thinking of the different ways hand tracking can be deployed and in like just the use cases from e-commerce and, and being able to see products in your hands, but also just interacting in the real world in a natural way. One of the things that always stuck with me is that when HoloLens 1 came out, when you, when you show a kid something, they just pick it up and they do it. But when you showed anybody over kind of 30, that gesture motion of the clicking that HoloLens, you had to reach out and kind of thumb point click thing. And nobody could figure it out. Everybody just reached out and tried to push, like push things. You know, like they just reached out naturally to, to touch it. And then I think the HoloLens 2, I, I believe they've addressed that. But there's going to be so many different devices out there. And I, I think you guys have made a really good idea in putting it at the chipset level and, and really making it available as that reference design for everybody. Yeah, it's paid off so far in the sense that when we go to OEMs or companies that really are building this hardware, or even those that are buying it, they love the fact that we understand the architecture. The software itself understands the rest of the architecture. And we've got a version of something we could put in there um, that the most importantly like, interoperates with everything else, right? And because there's just so many other functions that need to... And so, sometimes we're using literally the same cameras that are being used for other functions too, right? So we need to respect those as well and make sure they work harmoniously together to enable those use cases as well. Indeed. So. so speaking of use cases, let's dig into some of the use cases. Like I got a pair of AR glasses or VR goggles on. What are some of the use cases where I'd want to use some of the gesture recognition? I, I'm just looking at the, the page here on your, on your site about gesture recognition, how you flip, grab, up, down, swipe, pinch, victory, point, all these things. But what are some of the use cases, uh, practical use cases that people can wrap their heads around? First thing I like to say is like, I think of like hand tracking and gestures and some of the other input methods is kind of the, what is like the keyboard and mouse of like back when in the PC era, where like just basic navigating around that device, I think is going to not just only be hand tracking, but it'll be all those in some multimodal form together. So I think that's number one is just getting around the device most easily. So when you first put that headset on, you don't necessarily want to have to reach for the other controllers or something else every time you want to just navigate the device. So I think that's, that's, that's first and foremost from there, in-app control as well too. So obviously for gaming, just interacting, you can be holding like, if it's more on the consumer side, you know, you can be shooting out of your hand or we've, we've done applications like that before. Um, but if, especially on the enterprise side where things are being used a lot today, I see, I see various things like just uh, communicating to the de device. So doing grab gestures for shortcuts in the device makes a lot of sense. Sometimes it's just like capturing a screenshot of what's going on. You might do one of those gestures to take a screenshot or like take an image if that's what you're looking at in AR. But what comes up a lot definitely for gestures at least is shortcuts. To the extent that there is like something you want to do very quickly in device that you do repeatedly, uh, very often, uh, using a gesture to do that can make a lot of sense. Uh, especially when some of the other inputs are just not convenient, right? So like voice, for example, if there is a noisy background, you might want to might want to just use your hands instead. So yeah, that's that's some of the ones we've seen, especially if you've got gloves on or something in, in an enterprise use case, and you don't, um, you know, you can't necessarily like do touch uh, on on the device itself. Then you might want to use a gesture. So and those functions can include things like those shortcuts can be like muting, unmuting, changing the volume, um, changing apps you're in, you know, waking up the device or making it sleep, so on and so forth. The, the gestures in in shortcuts are going to be amazing because 
I think it's going to, like you said, multimodal is going to be really important. Being able to uh, use voice, being able to use gaze, understanding what you're looking at. And I think once we have eye tracking and this gesture recognition and voice, it's just going to be, show me that thing. And it knows you're pointing, it knows what you're looking at, and it knows what you said and gives you what you want. And Alan, the one thing I, I think about a lot is, is like one, I love to think like several years ahead, right? It's fun. When you think about all those things coming together, just imagine like what you can observe about this. Some people can see this as creepy, but like what you can observe about what a user wants and what they're doing, right? Today, we're looking at like what someone, someone's behavior on an app, on a phone or on their, on their laptop. And you can track a lot through those sensors that are on board, but just imagine what you can track about where someone's eyes are looking in a given scene, what, how long they're looking at a certain ad or, and specifically with their hands, right? So we have at least 22 points of interest tracked in some cases, and we could see how they're, where they are in 3D space relative to all the other things that are in 3D space. And that, like, I think is really interesting for capturing intent of what a user is doing. It's super exciting stuff. And how you can maybe monetize that data at some point, too, is interesting, too. But just the fact that you can understand what a user wants and how they're moving their hands around. I think hands are a really natural, like expressive way of what a user or person's doing. Indeed. Yeah. I, I wonder if you're going to have like people flipping off the bird and can you edit that out <laughs> so it doesn't do it? <laughs> <laughs> that could be a gesture that we just like, anytime that's red, this user needs help and support comes up. <laughs> awesome. I see you're having troubles. Can I help you? Exactly. Awesome. So let's get practical here. If you're going to be building this into all sorts of things, not just VR and AR headsets, but automobiles and that sort of thing, why would I want gesture or hand recognition uh, in a car? That's a good question. So we're seeing that in the automotive space, for example, that, uh, well, I'll, I'll make it more broad than automotive. Like any, I'd say anywhere where the rules of how you interact with a device are either being written for the first time or being rewritten, I think that's where gestures are interesting and hand tracking as, as well. In the automotive space, I think there is a lot of automotive players trying to figure out what does the future look like, especially with autonomous driving coming. I think that's part of what's driving that. And so that means that you know passengers and drivers, they're going to have an opportunity to have a different experience with how they interact with the car. And that's where something like gestures comes in. Even when, even when things are not autonomous yet, actually, we're, one of our clients in that space is Renault. And um, I think one of the key drivers there is safety. And the use case there is drivers making gestures to control the infotainment system. So any function in the infotainment system that either takes too many button clicks to, to get to that specific function you want, again, it's kind of the shortcut feature. The, the button you want to press is just too far away and there's too much reach. That seems like it's a small thing, but really when you're driving, any milliseconds matter, right? It's to make it a little more convenient for the driver. So they can, they can mute, unmute, answer a call, end a call, zoom in, zoom out, so on and so forth. And we can map gestures to different kinds of functions there that make the most sense for that specific car. And it's, it's not just for like the convenience, but also for safety. The more we can reduce um, the cognitive load of drivers, uh, the more safe it is. That's the idea. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So what, what's next for you guys then? You've partnered with Qualcomm. You're going to be uh, kind of at the root level of all of uh, all of these new devices. What what's next then? What's next is going to be continuing that work what we're doing with with Qualcomm and really trying to onboard more and more of their customers. This year, we're going to be focusing on bringing on tier one companies that are building AR and VR devices. And there is still, in almost in every case, these these device makers 
they make little tweaks and changes to that reference design that they get. And so they might pick different kinds of cameras and, and there is some work with, with Clay to onboard them in the right way, make sure that the hand tracking is working well, like I said, with all the other functions. And we like to own that process a little bit too and get involved. So it'll be a year for us, I think, where our tech has never been as ready as it's been today. What I mean by that is we're interoperable now with like cameras that are the most available in the market including like monochrome cameras that are used for six degrees of freedom. So we can work with those. And so the next steps would just be like bringing on those, uh, those big customers. And like, I think the demand is going to be there this year more than ever. That's what I'm excited for. Uh, mainly because we have the software that runs in the right hardware more than ever. And I think what Oculus did and launched that, launched that as a feature proves that it's important and that uh, everyone else now wants it too. So that's what I'm excited for, for AR and VR in 2020, for sure. And then from a technology standpoint, we're just always, that's never going to stop. I think the, the key thing we're going to be driving there is getting more and more detailed tracking and more and more accurate tracking. And at the same time, monitoring like how much we're really you know, consuming the CPU, the GPU, or DSPs on board uh, and optimizing like crazy, right? Because we don't want to be... Yeah, you guys don't want to be the one that sucks up your battery. Totally. Yeah. You know, we want to be, we want to be the one that's like, that works to everyone else and no one says you're too expensive. Okay, I, I have to ask, because so. I'm on your, your new website that's not published yet, but it'll be out soon. You, you have your scalability yeah. one to four hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what that's all about, but all right. <laughs> so then maybe that applies to like, uh, maybe that applies to the other use cases. So we have like three product categories, right? We've got play reality for all AR and VR stuff, but four to four hand, four hands could make sense maybe in like a, actually like in, in situations where you've got really, really big screens at big shows, mm-hmm. things like that. You might want to have like multiple oh, people, multiple yeah, yeah, hands. Yeah. I was also thinking being able to, to in virtual space, being able to see other people's hands come into the space and, and hand them things. I uh, haven't seen that yet come up as, but I could see that coming for yeah. sure. So yeah, absolutely. Huh, very interesting. What is one problem in the world that you want to see solved using XR technologies? It's a good, good question. I think that there's, there's a, there's a lot that AR and VR can solve. I guess what I'm like personally most excited about, this is less about clay and more about me, but I think the problem of distance is just, and I think that's, that's very general, but what got me super excited into to XR in the first place was like this idea that two people can be far away from one another. And I know we can connect now uh, through a lot of different mediums, but I think that those mediums really only get us like halfway there. And, and strangely, being halfway there makes us less often to be there like in person face to face today. And I think that I really I actually like I actually despise that about social media and and all the other technologies that help us connect today. It's like I feel like people are now lazier than ever with really connecting. When I'm excited about an AR and VR, I think it's the best candidate for a technology to really actually bring us like to 90% there, maybe even close to 100. There's a lot of problems that get solved obviously by by being able to do that, right? Um, one is just connecting better with people, but all the things that come around all the problems that we that are around today by not doing that well enough that will be solved. So if that's seeing a loved one more often and feeling like you're present with them, that's great. Um, if it's trying to do business with someone who's really really far away, I think like feeling present with them in a room 
uh, like you can do in VR is pretty amazing. So that's what I'd say. It's a really good answer. And I think it, it, it's a great way to, to position uh, XR as a, a medium by which we can create a, a more global unified world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I remember the closest thing I did to that, I haven't done enough um, multiplayer or like multi-user type VR experience lately, but I remember like a while back I tried, I guess it was maybe like a year and a half ago, I tried a company's software called, I think you may or may not have heard of them, called VR Chat. Yeah, I have. Absolutely. I've, I've yeah. been in it. I actually did a, ooh, back maybe three years ago, I was in Gunter's Universe, which was one of the VR chat rooms and I, I was interviewed in Gunter's Universe. It was super fun. Yeah. And I just remember sitting there thinking, and I felt like I'm sure it's much better today than it was when I tried it then. And I was like, oh my God. Just remember thinking, wow, like I really feel like I'm here with someone who's a stranger. And it was, it was kind of strange because that kind of like, that kind of creeped me out a little bit in the sense that I was like, wait, this person, I'm, I'm in a room with them. I don't know them though. And strangely enough, I didn't have all the information that you get when you're, cause I, I love networking. I love meeting strangers all the time. But when you're in person, you get 100% of who they are. You see them, you interact with them, you shake their hand. But in VR, at that time, three years ago, it was like you're only halfway there. So the I first think- time I had that was uh, with Altspace. I was uh, I was out lying in bed and I put on Altspace. It was with the Gear VR. Yeah. And I was just walking around. I was kind of talking to myself. I'm like, what is this silly thing? And somebody stood beside me and started saying, hey, you must be your first time in here. And I, I couldn't figure out that they were talking to me. <laughs> what? If that was your first time. That's that's an interesting note for sure. Yeah, and you know it's funny because up until recently, Altspace really didn't improve. Okay. Um, but I was just in there the other day, and it actually looks like they've uh, made some real improvements, which is fantastic to see. And everything's getting better. Absolutely, I got to check that out. And then the the new one that we really love is um, Meet in VR. Uh, it's a Danish company, and they've they've really nailed the interactions for corporate clients uh, for enterprise because it allows you to be in a VR chat room, okay. but you you have access to photos, you have access to 3D models, you can write on the walls, you can have conversations. It's I don't know. I just, it, to me, it's it's the most comprehensive business tool for communication. Yeah, it was really great. Yeah, that's a big one because I'm on the on the business side at Clay, and so that means I, I travel around a lot. And I, I, I actually like traveling a lot, so I don't, I don't, I don't mind it too much, but being able to do that like pretty quickly in virtual reality would be amazing. Got to try that out, but it hasn't happened for me yet. Indeed. Well, I want to thank you again for taking the time uh, out of your busy schedule to, uh, to join us on the show. Oh, thanks for having me Alan. This is fun. Absolutely. Where can people find out more information uh, about clay and the work you guys are doing? So they can go to uh, www.clayair.io. They can reach me out on, on email too. It's my first name, B-A-R-A-G at clayair.io as well. We have a new website coming soon. So we'll be announcing that somewhere on LinkedIn and social media and all that good stuff. Alan, I love what you do in the industry too. So please keep it up and keep in touch. Well, thank you very much. And you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity then to tell people to subscribe to the podcast. I always forget this part and people keep telling me, you got to tell them to subscribe. So subscribe to the podcast and uh, you'll get more XR for business deliciousness all the time. (laughs) (laughs) For anybody, any business looking or organization, school, teacher, if you're looking for uh, information on XR collaboration tools and how you use them, we're releasing a guide. It's the Global Guide to XR Collaboration, and it will be released on xrcollaboration.com 